You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 55 called 18 EdTech Activities to Try During the Coronavirus Pandemic. In this episode, we'll share 18 of our favorite EdTech activities that you can facilitate from a remote location. This is an episode you cannot miss, so check it out. So we are back. I guess this is episode 55 for those who are counting, which is probably just Nick and I. And we are currently on day three of our pandemic release. So we are, we're off for at least the next two weeks, probably longer. How's it going for you so far? What are you doing with your life? And uh, tell, tell me what the blend is between, you know, doing school things what you're doing there and how else are you filling your time? Yeah, man, it's it's very strange. It's, uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of work to be done, right? And all, all the, all those teachers are kind of feeling that push to be generating all of a sudden now these kind of virtual digital resources. And we were just talking a little bit before we started recording of how lucky we are uh, that we are so invested in this world and we're so familiar with a lot of these things. But this is a really, this is a big challenge for a lot of teachers. Like you said, trying to balance, you know, working from, working from home with your kids kids are around. If you've got kids, your family, my wife is downstairs right now. She's on her own works virtual meetings. So just trying to figure out this like totally new lifestyle. It's, um, it is a challenge, but I think we're off to a pretty good start. Today's actually the first day where our students will be logging in digitally to access resources. So I've got my first uh, virtual assignment lined up for the kids. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I don't like it because obviously it's such a big change and there's so much work to be done, but I think we're going to be surprised with how successful this comes out. How has it uh, been for you? Uh, for me, I, I've just been spending a lot of time trying to get resources together for teachers because I don't have a set classroom. I'm just trying to make templates, find some of the free resources out there for teachers to use. I conferenced with a couple teachers yesterday and gave them a couple ideas of how to make very simplistic lesson plans uh, using, uh, you know, some of the Google apps. So we've been working through a lot of slides uh, lessons and a lot of Google Doc lessons, and I think they're going to be all right. One thing that we have to remember is that online learning has been around for a long time. I mean, I did my master's online. I did my doctorate online. So I, I am very familiar with the online grading piece and the online learning piece and all that good stuff, the feedback. So really, I feel like I just need to be a tool for teachers to use. I need to just keep coming up with these templates where they could just drag and drop some of the things that they would have passed out in class and, you know, see what we could come up with just to make their lives a little bit easier. I will tell you this, though. We're, we're supposed to be social distancing ourselves. I, I am, in one fact, doing that, but I'm, I'm getting outside with my kids a lot. We played uh, T-ball yesterday. My uh, oldest son helped me mulch around the house and he loved it. So that was cool. So I might have him for, you know, some future help. But uh, just having a little bit extra time, if if I really put the whole pandemic thing on the back burner and just not think about it for a little while, I am able to get some, uh, you know, spend some quality time with the family 
and stuff like that. So I'm enjoying that part of it. Yeah, it's cool. I know I've noticed just a lot of people in our neighborhood, a lot of getting outside, walking around, just things you don't typically get to do in like your busy uh, day-to-day life. So as stressful as this is, and as much as we don't like to have our lives kind of upended, there are some positives that you can find. So I think I'm glad you kind of pointed that out. And as far as you, you know, planning these digital lessons in a second, we're going to get into some of our uh, recommended activities that we think everyone should give a try. Uh, Something else you said that I think needs to be emphasized is keep it simple. I mean, this can be really overwhelming, especially when you start looking at all the resources your school is probably sending you about. Here's this free service and you guys should try this. And how about this? And it sort of makes your head spin, especially now that you're being forced to do it. But you should remember that this can be done very simply. I mean, all it takes is one digital resource, maybe a YouTube video or an article that you find and you push it out to the kids with some follow-up questions. That's an at-home lesson. It's not the most engaging one. It's not the most powerful, but it counts and it works. So you don't have to go insane putting together hours upon hours of your own videos edited to, you know, these extremes and looking super professional. This this can be done quickly and simply and you can, I bet, get a pretty good result out of it too. So I think that's important to say before we get started. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I think that sometimes um, we need to look in an ed tech tool, see how it can be used in its most simplest way, simplest form. And then really, you know, once everyone's comfortable with it, the students will take it to a new place. If they're interested in it, if it's a tool that they like using, they'll want to use it and they'll, they'll take the learning to a, to a new place. But we need to keep in mind that um, we have to differentiate between our top tech students and our lower end tech users. And it's no different for a tech coach looking at the faculty that they work with. We have several different levels of teachers when it comes to being tech comfortable or tech uncomfortable. So uh, some of the activities that we go over today, some of them are very simplistic in nature and others are uh, more challenging and a little bit more difficult. But our goal is just to put a collection of stuff together and give you ideas. Uh, We also have created a couple templates, which you can copy and use if you wish. And we have a couple other things that were created already that you could just take as is or or make a copy of it and modify it to your needs. But uh, I know that there's a lot of resources out there. If you go to Twitter, everyone is posting resources and there are fantastic resources out there, but they do get overwhelming. So if you're overwhelmed, just take a deep breath, relax. And go back to your square one, whatever you're comfortable with, and just stay in that zone until maybe a little of the anxiety or whatever you're feeling goes away. It is perfectly okay to keep it simplistic. And you gotta, you just gotta remember that. So every one of the uh, activity ideas that we're about to go through, we put together a Google site that has a little more in-depth explanation. You mentioned some templates. So check out the show notes for the link to this Google site, along with tons of other links that we've compiled for people are all going to be there. But in terms of these 18 ideas, you'll find examples and then just sort of uh, basically something to follow and use. So that's important to know from the beginning. Let's kick it off with one of the most common things you hear about in this virtual learning environment, which is screencasting can be used for so many things. The teacher can create their own screencast. The students can create screencasts. So one of the, I think the best activities you can have your kids do is have them record themselves uh, talking. It doesn't have to be a video of them. It could just be a video of their screen, um, but sort of giving their own personal response to something that you've assigned to them. Maybe there's an article they read and instead of just answering questions, you want them to record uh, their virtual response to a certain, you know, uh, reflection questions, let's just say, in the form of a screencast. Uh, so you can do 
do that. Same thing if you share a video with the kids, you want them to respond to certain things about the video or a story that they've read. All of this can be recorded uh, digitally in that audio video format in screencasting with either Screencastify or Screencast-O-Matic or Loom. There's lots of different options there. It's a great way to do that. Yeah, before we go any further, I'll just throw this out there because this is something that very uh, much impressed me. The Friday before we we learned that we were going to be off for at least two weeks, uh, I reached out to Screencastify and I said, hey, um, any chance that we could get a good deal on the premium version of Screencastify? And uh, I was sent a link in which I filled out an application, which was very, very easy. And then within like a minute, I was given this email that had step-by-step instructions to upgrade your school uh, to premium until, I can't remember if it was April 30th or May something, but uh, that was it. They gave us the whole district, Screencastify, premium until the end of this pandemic. So that is absolutely fantastic. So I wanted to shout out Screencastify because they definitely uh, impressed me by stepping up in that way. Let's get into the second way we could use screencasting, um, and that's to demonstrate knowledge or skill. So for example, if I'm a math teacher and I give a math set of problems and the instructions say complete, you know, all the odd problems, pick one of the even problems to do a screencast on and explain the process that you took to get the answer. That That is a simple way to use screencasting to demonstrate a skill. And that will help the teacher know that you actually get it. Because if you can explain it, that means you got it. So that's, uh, you could also do that for a thesis statement or if a science teacher got clever and came up with a lab that you could use uh, or you could do using like household materials or a virtual lab or something like that, uh, that's another way you can demonstrate a skill using a screencast. I love that one. I'm going to be trying that later this week. Having Instead of answering a bunch of questions on paper, I'm going to have my students answer one question where they record an image of their work on the computer screen and they just sort of talk me through it. So I'm excited to see how that goes. Something as social as a peer review can be done with a screencast as well. If you sort of facilitate sharing out different student work samples, you can have uh, students record uh, their review of those samples, maybe for editing purposes or just general responses, ways to sort of punch up their writing. If you're finishing up a lab report, maybe from when we were still in school, you can share those lab reports around and have students uh, screencast, you know, things that they would change or updates before the students submit the final version. Now you lose some of the back and forth that you would have in real life, but you still can get that peer feedback feedback, which is really important for a classroom. One thing that I like about this activity is uh, you could use Google Sites, new Google Sites, and you could have a site that you created for your third period class. Give them all editing rights. Remind them that you could see the revision history, but tell them to upload their paper uh, into the uh, Google Site. And then they're once they're all up there, Restrict editing rights until they complete the assignment. Restrict editing rights with everyone in your class. Tell them that they have to go to two or three different peers and review the work that they did and create screencasts for them. And then you could open it up or you could just leave it open if, if you feel comfortable with that, which that's probably what I would do. And you could tell the students to uh, um, do a screencast and upload it to the site. Now, one thing that you have to do is you have to remind them about what it means to be a good digital citizen. But this is a way that you can get students to up 
load work and get them to respond to one another. And that's very powerful. And it's not that hard. I mean, the students really know how to upload something to uh, Google Sites. If not, go to YouTube, find that video that lasts a minute and 30 seconds and put that at the top of the page. But this is a fantastic way to get some response back and forth and some conversation. How about a, a digital journal entry or a book review? Pretty much the same idea. Instead of having the students just like type out a response or type out a journal entry or, you know, reviewing what they thought of a chapter in a book you're reading. Um, you can do all of these things digitally with that screencast. So maybe they still type out an entry for their journal, but instead they show that on the back of their screen and they read it and they talk about it and they elaborate. This might also be easier for you to grade. It takes away some of that the aspect of just like sitting there and reading this text for three hours, you can sort of listen to your kids and feel a little bit more connected to them like you were while still in the classroom. Yeah, just remember that all the students are doing every single class online. So giving them uh, options and choice might be a great way to go here. So they're probably just as anxious as some of our teachers. Uh, they don't want to have to type out every single thing. Allowing them to be creative using these screencasts could be a good thing. So let's hop right into the next one. This is number five, and that's to create a public service announcement. I used to love this one. This could also be tied into passion projects or whatever, but what I had them, uh, had students do is they picked a topic that they were passionate about. Uh, I usually called this uh, something wrong with the world today. And I would play the song uh, that had the lyrics with that in the background as I explained it. But something wrong with the world today. They would gather a whole bunch of facts. They would gather a whole bunch of pictures and they would put it into a screencast and they would record it. And it kind of gave this public service announcement of what is wrong in their eyes in the world today and how to you know, fix it up and correct it. So they can make a 30 second public service announcement on how to wash your hands and, and be safe during the pandemic. Or they can make something a little bit longer that you might assign over several days. So giving them uh, time to do these big projects could be just as effective as doing a whole bunch of smaller projects. Yeah, that's true. And that's related to this last sort of screencast application we've got here. You could do uh, like a virtual TED talk style, right? Where you pick an issue or something that students are passionate about and they record sort of like this brief speech on it. It'd be really cool if you could link that to the current coronavirus uh, issue and have them sort of explain or talk about some aspect of that, maybe mathematically. There's all kinds of graphs out there about how the virus spreads or uh, like you said, how to wash your hands for the proper amount of time or different tips. There's all sorts of ways to take that. The science, the biology of the transference um, or one of our favorite presentation styles called a Pecha Kucha where there's just like this rapid fire uh, changing of images that play uh, through like a Google Slides, let's say. So you can provide that template to your students, have all the timing set up on all the slides. Um, if you've never heard of a Petra Kucha before, uh, there's an image, no words on the slide, and it changes. Is it 20 seconds, guys? No, it's yeah, less every, than that. Right? No, every 20 seconds. Okay, so every 20 seconds, the slide switches to the next slide. So they've got 20 minutes or so 20 seconds on each image and it's you know it's supposed to kind of keep them really focused and they have to know what they're talking about but if you give them that template um, they can just add the pictures and then as those pictures play they screencast it and they record themselves talking about it and push that back to you so i think all of these are great ways to use uh, screencasting in your classroom so check those out all right next up we have podcasting we'll make this kind of short because we've 
talked about this several times, but really in the classroom for this situation, there are two types of podcasts you could do. You could do the single assignment, um, which that would be like asking the students to talk about a book that they read or talk about something that they're learning about while being at home during the pandemic. Uh, And this is something where they would do a recording and then they would send it into the teacher. The teacher would do a grade and hand it back. So that's a single assignment. The other way that we could probably use it in this uh this atmosphere is for a class project. So earlier I explained how you could use uh, new Google Sites to kind of share out these class projects and get some feedback and forth amongst the kids. Well, we could do the same thing here. You can uh, have them record a file, then download that file to their Google Drive. So how would we record a file? There's Vocaroo, which is an online platform. There's no sign-ins or anything like that. They go there, they hit play, they hit stop, they hit download to a wave or MP3 format. So once they have it into their Google Drive, they share that link to a Google Doc. All the kids put their link into the Google Doc. Then the teacher can say, hey, I want you to read or I want you to listen to two of these and respond to them. And after they respond, maybe they have to send the response to the teacher and to the student and you get some dialogue back and forth for there. So uh, that's pretty much the podcast unless you have something else to add there, Nick. Yeah. Um, only that, you know, a podcast always sounds like a really daunting thing to take on where you're envisioning like microphones and uh, like different recorders and different uh, audio mixers. Doesn't You don't need any of that. There's lots of free tools like simple audio recorder for Google Chrome where they can just record their voice as they're talking into the computer. So remember that a podcast just as any audio format where they digitally record themselves. So that's kind of uh, loosens up this definition of what we typically think of as a podcast. So I think that's important to mention. Um, Another one that we'll keep pretty quick because we talk about them all the time. Just want to mention it again. And that is uh, digital escape rooms. These are great in person because the kids get to work with each other, but the digital versions can also be done at home. So I would even imagine, you know, as part of the assignment, maybe your students get their families involved, all the siblings and, you know, parents, everyone comes together as you sort of try to solve this digital escape room as a group. So you can still get some of that socialization, but now it might be a family activity instead. And if not, can still be done individually by students. Um, You can make your own digital versions through Google. We've got lots of examples of this on the site we mentioned earlier. Remember to check out that link in the show notes. We've got one for chemistry and naming different formulas. We've got a Spanish Spanish foreign language one on the running of the bulls. We have it to kill a mockingbird um, escape room. We've got an odyssey escape room. We've got a biology photosynthesis escape room. Tons of examples so you can get a sense of maybe how to make your own or use one of ours. There's also digital services on online like breakout edu that have these things kind of pre-made for you if you feel like you can't take on the task of creating your own so that's that could be a fun one for kids and and maybe for teachers as well yeah and just to throw this out there uh breakout edu i guess it's called digital breakout if you go look um they they released a couple to try for free during this time so that is another thing that you can go out and take a look at so Let's just talk about two video tools that we really like, you know, just a little bit. uh, We didn't put any specific examples of assignments for these because they could be used for so many things. They're so versatile and that's WeVideo and Flipgrid. So WeVideo is very simple to use. You could podcast in WeVideo. 
now. Uh, that's fantastic. You can do green screening without having a green screen in WeVideo. You can make any video or podcast uh, project come alive using WeVideo. So go check out WeVideo. Uh, the other one is Flipgrid. You can make Flipgrid boards. This is probably the best way to do uh, question and answer and discussion with your classrooms because you set up one grid, you give them a code, and then you're good to go for this whole time. Uh, so that is another awesome way to bring in discussion and some interaction without being, you know, face-to-face present. Yeah, I love Flipgrid for, uh, you know, as a video tool, but like you mentioned, really it's a way to have these sort of in-class discussions where the kids get to post their, you know, their opinions and their ideas and the ways they're solving problems at home. And then everybody gets to view it and, and comment on it, especially you as the teacher. We've got two other ways that you can do student discussions. Um, one of those I'll talk about. The other one I'm going to leave for you guys. But uh, there's a tool that we've mentioned quite a bit called Edgy. And Edgy is a great way to run a, a student class discussion. If you're not familiar with Edgy, essentially you post an article, a PDF, a, a website. There's all sorts of different versions. You can do an image. And as you post it, it gets shared to students. But when they view it and they log in to, you know, to uh, basically they're making annotations. That's how Edgy describes this. But when they make these annotations, it's viewable to everybody. So if some, if a student highlights a certain area of that text, they can leave a comment and everybody can see that comment. They can leave little emojis. They can star things. There's all sorts of ways to interact with this document. And because of that commenting piece, uh, really, you you end up just running, like we said, a, a class discussion based on this shared document with the kids. So Edgy is a great way to do it. The other idea we have for student discussions, uh, we call a Google gallery walk and discussion board. So guys, that's the one I'm going to leave for you to explain. to me. Before I talk about the Google gallery walk, I just wanted to say a quick thing about edgy on this site. I created a video that kind of walked you through how to make a discussion in edgy. So what I did is I put a resource in there which uh, students can view. It was a YouTube video. I just did the YouTube link and then I had three to four discussion questions underneath it. And what students could do is just highlight any part of the discussion question, and then they could leave their voice comment or their text comment. So it's that simple. Then they can respond to each other within those comments, which is amazing. So there's your discussion board. So going into the Google Gallery Walk, there's a template and there's a video that walks you through it on this uh, resource site that we provided. But the gist of it is there are 26 slides in this template. The first slide gives the directions. And then the next uh, 25 slides are uh, where the students put their responses, their answers. So on the first one, there's there's directions. The directions state, watch this video, er, consider these guided questions, and then provide this response. They get to choose uh, how they provide the response, whether it is a screencast or whether they just type it out. In this particular project, um, I asked them to find a resource that answers a certain question or that has to do with a certain question, like the the allied powers um, of the world wars. So what they had to do is they had to bring in their resource, put it on their slide. Each slide's numbered 1 to 25. You could either assign the students or just tell them to find an open slide and begin their work. They had to put their name at the top. They had to put in a resource that they found that answered the question that, you know, I gave them or the prompt that I gave them. All right. And then they had to come up with some type of response to the three questions, whether it was typed out or in a screencast version. Now, 
here's the hidden part. So in Google Slides, there's a presentator or presentation notes uh, spot underneath the slide. In that area, students can have a discussion because you're sharing out this slide deck to your whole class. So if I look at Nick's slide, and I really like the resource, but I found one that I think is a little better. Underneath, I might give him two positives about his slide, and then I might give him a suggestion to check out this resource because I really felt that it, you know, showed a better picture of the Allied forces. So that's kind of the gallery walk. You need to check out the video, see the video or the visual on that, and that will help explain it. But this is probably one of my favorite things to do, not only with students, but with teachers as well. When I'm doing a professional development, this is this is pretty cool. Yeah, that uh, using the presenter notes area for the discussion space is a clever idea. I really liked it. Um, this next one's pretty quick. Uh, if you really just want to run, you know, basically a, a class where you are lecturing or presenting or showing the students how to do something, just use it, you know, a, a video conferencing tool like uh, Zoom, which is offering, you know, there's no longer that they got rid of their 40 minute time limit. So people can use that. And Zoom is a free service or Google Meet, probably what most schools are going to have access to. So just host a virtual classroom through Google Meet where either the students can see you or maybe you black out your screen or share your screen. Um, and this, and you can just talk to them. You can also turn this into a help session, right? Where the kids can respond to you and ask questions in real time. Um, so if you're comfortable with this, it's probably the closest we can get to actually, you know, teaching and interacting with our kids. I would, I like this mostly, I'll be honest, for a help session. If I'm going to teach something to my students, I would probably prefer just to record it in the form of a screencasted video so they can uh, rewatch it if they need to see it a second or a third time later. If you're just presenting material uh, by, you know, getting on to a Google Meet and talking about it, that's nice, but sort of like in class, they've only got access to that information that one time. Uh, so I think the real power of these Google Meet sessions are going to be basically, you know, discussions or where students get to log in and ask you questions directly. Yeah, uh, I think these online services are probably going to be uh, more powerful from here on out because whether we like it or not, there are a lot of teachers going to be forced to use these services for the first time, and I think some of them might like it. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, next up, one of my favorites, Claims Evidence Reasoning. Uh, we put a template to the website, a website uh, with this activity there. In this website, you can find how to do it, some rubrics to grade it, and how to get the students kind of involved in the activity. So at Claims Evidence Reasoning, what you do is, what I like to do is I like to find a video or some type of resource that that I show the students and I ask them what's going on here. All right, what is our big problem? What's our big issue? What do you see in, in this video or this this picture? And uh, for the one that I use on the website, it's a claims evidence reasoning activity called Can You Save the Polar Bears? And the video that I give them is of the polar ice caps melting. And you could see these ice rivers uh, running through, fracturing all the, uh, the ice caps and things like that. So basically students will tell you it's global warming warming, it's climate change, it's this, it's that. So after they do that, they have to come up with a question. So in this in this case, uh, the question that they typically come up with, and the teacher could give this as well, is, uh, is climate change real? Because most of them will tell, tell you that, it, you know, the issue is climate change. So their claim 
to to this whole situation is their answer to the question. So question is, is climate change real? The claim is, yes, it is. No, it isn't. It could be as simple as that. And then they're going to go find evidence. They're going to look at credible resources, uh, credible sites out on the internet that will help them gather information that supports or refutes whether climate change is real or not. And then after that, they're going to reason through it. So they're going to use all their evidence while keeping in mind what their their topic question is, and they're going to connect everything together. They're going to say how the evidence either proves or disproves the answer to the question. So this is a great way of doing things. This isn't just a science Uh, activity. This could be used in any shape or form across all content areas. I recently did one with a English an English teacher that had to do with Romeo and Juliet. And the topic question was who was responsible for for the death of Romeo and Juliet? And students had to go pick who is the most responsible uh, for this. Most people chose Romeo and Juliet, but there were a lot of very clever answers to this. So this claims evidence reasoning will work across all content and it's not difficult to try. Yeah, that's a nice uh, sort of writing activity to uh, facilitate digitally for the kids. As far as curating resources, you're going to have to maybe do a lot more of that when you're running virtual lessons and virtual instructions. And one of the best ways to curate resources today is, of course, uh, Wakelet. Uh, Wakelet, you may have heard the term ride the Wakelet wave because this is such a you know popular thing. Wakelet has also been integrated with the uh, Flipgrid. It's called their shorts camera, I believe, um, where students can actually record little snippets of video and them doing things and sort of make that part of uh, the Wakelet that you put together. But basically, Wakelet, at its simplest form, uh, allows you to pull together things that you need the students to check out and to click on or to use for some sort of a project or uh, or uh, maybe an entire unit plan can be listed out uh, with this resource collection uh, of Wakelet. So that's definitely one of the top resource curation tools that you're going to want to check out. Another one that I'm less familiar with is uh, PickWizard, uh, but PickWizard is a similar thing where you can sort of pull together these links and resources for kids to use. Do you know anything uh, different about PickWizard, guys? Yeah, I actually added this last moment. PickWizard is a website. It's a collection of uh, pictures and videos that are royalty free. So students can use these for projects. Uh, I usually just send students to PickWizard when we're doing any type of a video or presentation just so that they have some images that they don't need to worry about copyright. They, it's it's all free stuff. And the ones that aren't free, it, it kind of grays it out on the site so they know which ones that they could choose and which ones they, they can't. So do, I do love me some PickWizard. Got it. Yeah, that's actually important, those uh, images that are free to use. And then our last idea, this is sort of going to be my like go-to move for my virtual instruction. I'm calling it a flipped lesson at home and flipped is in quotes because of course it's not really flipped because the whole thing is happening at home, but it's basically me starting with a Google doc at the top of the doc. I just put a link to a video or some other resource I want my students to share. And then beneath that, as you go down the Google doc, there's links to a place where they can ask questions, either maybe like a Google meet or a zoom or another Google Doc that they have edit access to where they can discuss and type things into and I can monitor that. Um, and at the bottom of the document is just uh, some questions that they have to answer to show their understanding and demonstrate their mastery of what they saw in the video. So this is just a nice, easy way to sort of facilitate that virtual lesson where the kids are viewing content, coming back to you with questions and then demonstrating their mastery at the end. You can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTech.
Okay, so that wraps it up for our list of 18 different activities to try while you're trying to become used to and get comfortable with this at-home learning, virtual learning, whatever you call it during this crazy time in education. So hopefully you found something that's useful for you. Hopefully you found something you feel comfortable with. And also I want to reemphasize to check out the show notes where we have a link to the Google site that we put together with even more detail on all 18 of these activities. And that list is growing. I know, I know guys, and I have already talked about some things we want to add to it. So please uh, check that out and keep checking it out as we get further and further further into uh, this uh, coronavirus pandemic that we're all dealing with. That also wraps it up for episode 55. Make sure to check out episode 56. We're releasing sort of like a special bonus companion episode to go along with episode 55. And you should be able to find both of these at the same time uh, in the same place where you get where you can listen to all of our podcasts. Uh, So in episode 56, we'll be going a little bit broader and looking at some general resources from other people uh, that you can uh, find even more information about as far as putting together your own virtual learning. So check it out. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.